On this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast, we are joined by special guest Jason Klein as he brings the message, Making of the Beautiful, from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. some rainy days, but it looks like the sun's breaking through. Praise God. Well, I just wanted to uh, thank you all for allowing me to come today. When Brian asked me to come speak for him in his place, I insisted that he find somebody else more qualified. Uh, I have to just say that I'm not a, a pastor. Excuse me, I'm not a preacher, really. Um, in my profession, I'm a, a, a clinical hospice chaplain, so I do more so pastoral care. Uh, but I do enjoy helping uh, friends out every once in a while. He asked me uh, today to come speak, and I figured that I would speak on something that, uh, that I see every day that's more natural. And it's on pain and suffering. And today I want us to look at that in a, in a different lens as we read in James chapter 1, uh, 1 through 18. But I want to say that because I'm necessarily not a preacher, I'm more of a pastor, and James is talking about trials and tribulations of various kinds, I anticipate you all are in for some trials and tribulations of your own. Before I begin, I, I want to say that there are going to be some references to my personal testimony throughout this sermon, if there are any parents in here that have young children that would prefer them uh, not to be here, uh, I just wanted to give that warning now. I don't go into too much detail, but I just want to be sensitive to our audience. Uh, let me begin. I, I just would say that I'm a very blessed individual. I've, I've been very blessed in my life. Of course, as most of us here, we've all been through pain and suffering, trials and tribulations of various kinds, and I would say some more than others. Uh, in my early years, I have been um, heavily involved in, in drinking and drugs, uh, even at such a young age, and I've done a lot of immoral things in my life. Uh, today, as a pastor, I still make mistakes, and I still have uh, struggles, and I've been a major source of my pain and suffering in life. But as a testimony to God's goodness, I am not the person I once was. 
Someone once asked G.K. Chesterton, excuse me, he said, what was wrong with the world? In a letter, it was a correspondence. And he wrote him back, he said, dear sir, I am. Dear sir, I am. And I think that's very fitting. I think that's a very true statement considering, especially my own testimony, that if I'm to look out into this world and, and see the pain and suffering and ask what is wrong, I must first begin with myself. But not all of my experiences, though, were my own doing or within my control. As a young child, I remember seeing my mother being physically abused and, and emotionally abused by one of her boyfriends. I used to have terrible nightmares about these things, and uh, I don't believe any child should ever have to endure. Later in my teenage years, my mother faced uh, life-limiting cancer, and it should have taken her life. And I remember I was maybe 13. I was a young teenager. Having to care for her, I had two uh, siblings that I had to help raise while, our, while my stepfather was at work. And it really uh, took a toll on her life. It changed the person that she was, the person that I knew. But God was merciful, and she's still with us today. Of course, my time in the military naturally exposed me to situations that would be very graphic and intense and even ungodly. As a firefighter, I would say the same. Returning from Korea, my wife at the time had decided to leave me and take our son back to her hometown across the United States. And I do, forg forgive me, I forgot to mention I am an Air, Air Force veteran uh, from 2000 to 2005, served in Operation Enduring Freedom and was uh, deployed at the time. And when I came back, I met this young lady and um, it wasn't long after that I was shipped to Korea. So that was a very difficult situation, and I have not seen my son since he was six years old, or six months old, excuse me. But thankfully, I am now married to the woman my heart has always longed for, and who has blessed me with two beautiful children. She sits back there with, uh, with us today. My time using drugs and alcohol got me into some predicaments that should have landed me in prison, in a mental institution, or death. And it's just a privilege to be able to stand here and share my testimony. I look back at my life and consider it all joy because it was in these experiences that God was making me into the person that I am today. And I'm 100% sold out to the gospel and to the mission of Christ. There's no looking back for me. The Lord and I, we are in this for the long haul. I do not recommend, though, the path that I took, nor would I entice anybody to be tempted. God may not have the same plan for you as he did for me. I've lost many friends to an immoral lifestyle. But just about every lesson in my life I've had to learn the hard way, and I'm sure most of you have as well, but just about every lesson uh, that I experienced came by my desire for happiness. 
That is to say, happiness was the foundation of my decision-making. Nobody in their right mind would choose a life of pain and suffering. So naturally, we would think that happiness would be the right, the right choice, the right way to go. But nevertheless, let me caution you that unbridled pleasure will eventually lead to a life filled with pain and suffering, trials and tribulations. And I know this firsthand. And as a hospice chaplain, I see this. I see people suffering from the consequences of their decisions. And I imagine the pain and suffering felt all across America today can be fundamentally traced back to our unquenchable thirst to be happy. Happiness become the end and pleasure becomes the means to our happiness in which we find life meaningful rather than meaningless. Certainly there is nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. Ravi Zacharias mentions that the Bible speaks more to our happiness than it does to our suffering. And I found that interesting. I did not uh, realize that before. So I would say I believe that God wants us to be happy in a broad, general sense. God wants us to lead meaningful lives. But the happiness God has in mind might come through a different definition of what we believe happiness is. According to Dr. Larry Crabb, an obsessive preoccupation with my happiness, however, often obscures our understanding of the biblical root to deep, abiding joy. And that is what I wanted to talk about today. Joy. You see, our joy is a journey, and our journey becomes our testimony. I want you to understand that life has meaning and purpose, and there is a difference between happiness and joy. Our life is not for nothing. There is a grand scheme woven into the fabric of our life's testimony. Your testimony is sacred. It is your life, your story, and your journey in the making of the beautiful. I just want to say that there's a, a misconception, especially outsiders looking into the Christian faith. They see God as a cosmic killjoy. Oftentimes we see God as one of those party crashers. He wants to hinder us from having fun and doing things that we enjoy. But isn't good times also from the Lord? Or is it us who accepts the credit when times are good? And is it God that we blame when times are bad? I suspect that in our quest to find meaning or the pursuit of happiness unchecked by divine boundaries and a skewed perception of God has guided the way in which we now find ourselves exhausted from pleasure and a life filled with meaningless and with only God, not ourselves, to blame. For those interested in learning more about this, I recommend this book, Cries from the Heart, by Ravi Zacharias, Bringing God Near When He Feels So Far. This is a powerful book because he really gets to the heart, the human heart, the human heart, and how God relates to us. 
But let me say that uh, rather Larry Crabb directs us to a greater light found in Christ and a joy unspeakable when he states, I must firmly and consciously by an act of my will reject the goal of becoming happy and adopt the goal of becoming more like the Lord. The result will be happiness for me as I learn to dwell at God's right hand in fellowship with Christ. Our modern emphasis on personal wholeness, human potential, and the freedom to be ourselves has quietly shifted us away from a burning concern for becoming more like the Lord to a primary interest in our development as persons which we are implicitly promised will lead to our happiness. My goal today is for us to explore the scriptures on joy found in suffering as taught by the Lord through James chapter 1. Let today's message encourage you not to make happiness your goal, but pleasing the Lord at every moment your true ambition. Happiness will be a byproduct. Let me say that again and I repeat, happiness is not the goal. It is not the light that we follow, but it will be the byproduct of following the true light, which is Jesus Christ. I get today's message titled, The Making of the Beautiful, not from my own wisdom or experience, but actually from the life of a a young woman named Annie Johnston Flint that I read about in this very book. Let me share with you just a little uh, snippet of her testimony. I think, for example, the powerful testimony of a woman named Annie Johnston Flint. She was one who lived most of her life in pain. Orphaned early in life, her body was embarrassed by incontinence, weakened by cancer, and twisted and deformed by rheumatoid arthritis. She was incapacitated for so long that according to one eyewitness, she needed seven or eight pillows around her body just to cushion the raw sores she suffered from being bedridden. Her autobiography is rightly called The Making of the Beautiful. That is a powerful story, a powerful testimony. And as, I, as we'll see later, we'll, we'll get back to this and hear the heart of Anne, Annie Johnston Flint in her suffering. But I wonder how many of you have a testimony to share. How many of you looked upon bad situations and questioned God or was deeply moved to a place of feeling alone, alienated by God and others, abandoned, worried, and doubting God's goodness? Perhaps it is in these times you might have questioned his worthiness to be praised or just plain confused. How many of you grown impatient in answers to your prayers and felt like giving up or leaving the faith? There was a time that I did, and at times I still do. Pain and suffering is the greatest barrier to persevering in the Christian faith. Josh Josh McDowell has estimated roughly 70% of our youth who go through the church youth programs and graduate and go off to college 
end up leaving the faith. They abandon their faith. One, because of the, the universities and what they're teaching, they're having a hard time reconciling that with what we learn in church, especially in Genesis and the creation of the world. But then they also see for the first time, more than likely, as they come out from under the wing of their parents and the, the safety of their home, they see what life is really all about. And they leave the faith 70%. As a hospice chaplain, I am confronted with what theologians and philosophers call the problem of evil. Every day I see folks bedbound, suffering with cancer and disease, family members torn and worn and deeply struggling with their faith, asking, how can God allow my loved one to suffer? That is the most common question I get asked on a daily basis. I believe that what they are really asking is, for what good reason and purpose does God have for pain and suffering? And why on earth should I count it all joy? Sadly, as I said, many people leave because of this problem. I believe a good portion of it has to do with misguided assumptions about God, true happiness, and life. In America, we have it all. Matter of fact, it's embedded in our, in our founding documents to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that has since shifted in another direction. Indeed, how we view God will determine or can determine our relationship with God. And if you don't uh, trust me on that, I want you to go through Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 14 through 30, and see what you think. But when we come to the letter of James, we see him suggest a response that is seemingly quite unnatural, to consider it all joy when we experience trials of of various kinds. So let us go ahead in the word and uh, see what James has to say. That is James chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exultation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it flowers its flowers falls, 
and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say he is tempted. Uh, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt himself, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from the Lord and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by, his, by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits to his creatures. James is more, more than likely the half-brother of Jesus Christ, as, as you can see in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And he, he is one who writes with the authority of the one who has seen the risen Christ and has voluntarily committed himself to serving Christ as a believer and writes this epistle to the 12 tribes of Israel. So we, uh, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, we believe that uh, the Jews are currently facing persecution under King Agrippa, as you see in Acts 12, and indicated by James' uh, use of the word diaspora, which also means being scattered abroad. So they're now living outside of Israel. And it's in connection with the phrase, when you fall into various trials and, and testing of your faith, these trials come in all types, but this kind is out of their control. And that is the persecution they face, uh, that is the persecution they face was a direct result of their faith, their identity as children of the Most High God. However, uh, chapter 1, 13 through 18 particularly focus in on trials and tribulations that are often a result of enticement to sin. I think it's worth noting here that in both cases, James is talking about external circumstances bringing unwanted hardship into one's life. However, the first one is the result of faith. The second one is the result of our flesh. What James is teaching us here is that hardships are an inevitable aspect of life. And he is speaking to us and teaching us children of God, how to face trials and tribulations of every kind. Whether it is direct persecution or enticement to sin, James is insistent to clear up any confusion about the source of these trials and tribulations. They are not from God, but they can be and will be used by God and his sovereignty and for a particular purpose. We will find out later what that purpose is for a momentary suffering. Now we see here uh, that James counsels Jewish Christians facing tribulation to consider it joy or to see it from a new or different perspective, from God's angle rather than their plight. That's kind of hard to do when you're in the midst of a storm. But James is, James is trying to get something uh, across to us. He's saying that joy is realizing that though their persecutors are coming at them with a swift and mighty hand, it is actually God 
who is in control and will bring out the good in this bad situation, as we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as indicated by the benefits that come from being tested, which is patience and endurance. I think of, I think of my grandparents compared to my generation and how they're so wise and so patient. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, and I'm worrying about each and every day raising my family and being able to provide for them and if this is going to happen or if that's going to happen. And, and then you got my grandma who's saying, just relax, just breathe. It's going to be okay. See, they've been through the trial and tribulation. They have developed the ability to endure and to have patience and to consider it joy. Consider it joy because they know that God is in the midst and he is working. I also like to think of temptation to sin as being known by Satan. How many of you as Christians thought this was going to be an easy walk? How many of you as Christians have experienced intense temptation to sin? You know, that's a good sign. Because that means that you are known in hell. Think about it. When, when, uh, the, when, they, uh, when they were sent out, some of these guys that weren't necessarily known by the twelve went out and did miracles and works and they used the name of Jesus as they were doing this and the the demon said Jesus I know Paul I know but you I do not know more than likely because they didn't know Jesus and Paul so when you're doing the work of the Lord you better believe that Satan is coming after you and temptation is going to double. But be mindful, though, that temptation to sin, in essence, is not sinful. Even Jesus was tried and tempted in every way and did not sin. It is the giving in to that sin that is the issue here. And none of us should blame God. Rather, temptation comes from our fleshly desires and free choices but often imposed upon us by Satan as bait and hook to ensnare us. We still have a choice. So James is writing to the Jewish Christians who are experiencing intense persecution because of their faith outside of their control. It's causing them really a great deal of distress, uh, fear and worry, as, as indicated by uh, uh, James's use of the word double-minded man, okay, in verse 8, and the great pain and suffering is the fact that of James' felt need to write this letter in the first place, but also the listeners are facing trials that are within their control, temptation to sin, and may even have fell into uh, that, that temptation. But those who are successful 
seek out the Lord and his wisdom and how to overcome whatever trials they face. They do not allow time, or excuse me, they do allow time to do its work that they may grow in wisdom and patience. And with patience comes endurance and endurance comes completeness. Finally, they are totally committed to God despite periods of doubt and worry. I've noticed in my own life that the more I go through and the more I cling to the Lord, the closer I am to Him. So what good reason is there for God to allow our suffering? Let me say this, pain and suffering is inevitable. We live in a fallen and cursed world, and it's often necessary. Can you imagine life without pain and suffering? Think about it. Pain is not necessarily evil. Without it, we would be mutilating our own selves, our bodies. Have you ever eaten something and bit your tongue? Imagine if that didn't hurt. We would end up biting our tongue clean off. So pain pain alerts us to impending danger or harm. So there is good in pain. Uh, Pain is a good teacher which enhances life. I heard uh, Alan Wolfelt once said he's a grief counselor. A heart that is hollow. Hold on, excuse me. A heart that has not experienced pain or suffering is a heart that is hollow. Life would kind of be boring too if there was no drama especially some of the, la- the older ladies I visit watch the, uh, their daytime soap operas. They love some drama. Uh, suffering, in essence, shapes us and molds our fallen character into the holiness God demands from us. And this is something that can only come out of trial and tribulation. And pain and suffering does not come from God, though it is used by God as a test to prove our faith. Let me go back to this last one here. Suffering shapes and molds our character. I heard on the radio one day that, I believe it's a silversmith or or a metal worker, when they they stick the the metal into the hot flames, and they're, they're working the metal to get it to a certain temperature, they only know that it's ready when they can see their reflection in the middle. And that is a powerful analogy. As we are being made, tested and tried by fire until the Lord can see his image and his reflection in us. Let me ask you this. If God didn't even spare his own son, What makes us think that he wouldn't spare us? Or that he would spare us? The harsh harsh truth is that living for the Lord sometimes increases the severity of our struggles. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, I can never say that right, um, as a result said... uh, said of this about pain and suffering, he said, Christianity has not so much been found tried, has been tried and found wanting, 
as it has been found difficult and left untried. We tend to make, take the path of least resistance. But being a Christian comes at a great cost. Soren Kierkegaard reminds us it costs a man just as much or more to go to hell than to come to heaven. Narrow, exceedingly narrow, is the way to perdition. I also want to say to my own experience, trying to pretend what we are not also leads to pain and suffering. Seeking pleasure and meaning rather than God and obeying his will for our lives. C.S. Lewis once said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Trials and tribulations are God's way of taking this old lump of clay and making it into something beautiful. Therefore, I'd like to suggest that to be made into something beautiful is to live in the fullness of life. Great pain and suffering is often necessary. Life is painful from birth's cry to, to life's final death. Isn't that something that the very first thing we experience when we come into this world is pain? As children, it's a painful thing. Moms, it's a painful thing to give birth to a child. Imagine... Just imagine what we wouldn't have if not for pain. How are we doing on time? I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. Let me give you some, uh, some helpful hints here about Worry, because through our trials and tribulations, we often end up worrying, okay? I know I do. And uh, worry, as defined by Webster, is a mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. Worry is not an emotion. It is a mental exercise. Worry is natural and often stems from the inability to see the solution to finding relief from pain and suffering in our minds or when we are not satisfied with the solution until the solution becomes reality. And that's usually where I am. It's important to understand that worry is unproductive. Unlike being concerned, which motivates us into action, as someone once said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Worry is closely related to fear, and fear is the opposite of faith lacking in trust that God is in control. If you're going through a trial today and you are wrought with worry, let me ask you, what do you believe about God? But we should consider trials and tribulations joy rather than worry, not because being concerned isn't legitimate. Remember, joy is not naive to emotions. 
You can have joy and be concerned. You can have joy and not be happy at the same time. We should consider joy because joy is triumphant rather than a sign of defeat. And let us not forget, too, that pain and suffering is redemptive and sanctifying. In Christ, we have become children of God. And as a result, God has not given us a spirit of fear or worry. These things come from within or are fashioned by influences or lives we believe about from without and leading back, to, leading back to its source, which is the devil. And that's exactly where it comes from. Joy leaves room for reality where we can still embrace the pain and suffering but have internal and ultimate joy that comes by faith and hope. We look to heaven, especially we've, we hear just about, seems like once a week now of these school shootings. And even more, our hearts groan and ache for heaven. And he says, consider it joy because Christ has overcome. We have victory, come what may. We are redeemed and children of the living God. John 16.33 says, I tell you these things that you may not fear. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. We can have joy because he has overcome the world. We know that this life is not all there is. But we know that life is waiting for us. A life that we've never experienced. Life for the first time. I envy those people that I journey with as they make that transition into heaven. Because never again will they experience death or dying or grief or illness or pain or suffering. I'm almost jealous. Happiness is temporal. It's momentary. It's fleeting. And when we are constantly seeking happiness, we are constantly seeking that which makes us happy. And I look at my kids and I even consider myself just going to get an ice cream cone or something. Boy, that was good. I want another one. You think about drinking alcohol or doing drugs. Boy, that was good. It felt so good. But the next morning you're left completely empty and barren and void. So you go and do it again. But joy is complete. It is eternal. He says that our cups will runneth over with joy. And it is triumphant. I want to go back to Annie Johnson Flint. And I want to, tell you, I want to share with you a poem that she wrote. This poor young lady suffered all of her life. She faced just about every trial and tribulation uh, that one can endure. She says, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, 
his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. My goal today was to kind of reposition ourselves to see pain and suffering through a different lens and to understand that there are good things in it, there are redemptive things in it, and that it's also inevitable. But we don't need to worry. We can rather have joy because we know that God is with us. And with him, we can endure. He is making us today into the beautiful. When you feel like you're being tried and tested by the fires, just remember that he's shaping and molding you into a person of character and Christ-likeness. And he will bring you out of the fire Whenever, it is, whenever it's time, whenever he can see his reflection in you. And I'm telling you what a day that's going to be. And I believe that it's coming soon. It's been 2,000 years, right? We're closer today than we ever have been. But we do not know that time. And I just want to ask you if you're suffering today, draw upon his strength. I want to encourage you while we sing this song to come up front or even in your seat and just draw upon that. Or if you know somebody who's suffering today, go to them encourage them and comfort them and remind them expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. 
faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read, one that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north. The Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of BellatorChristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.